Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. Americans, for better or worse, have always been fascinated with business icons. J.P. Morgan, Andrew Carnegie, Henry Ford, all the way up through modern-day names like Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and Elon Musk. Hell, we've done shows on four of those names ourselves. And America has had a notorious long love affair with the automobile as well. Muscle cars, performance cars, trucks, whatever. On any given weekend, you can drive through some town in America and see a bunch of cars parked in some random parking lot with their hoods up while a bunch of middle-aged men stand around and stare at them, talking back and forth about this or that feature or design. Americans love a good rags-to-riches story, too. It's the inspiring engine of the American dream, the idea that any one of us could conceivably get rich if we just tried hard enough. And perhaps ironically, Americans also love a good fall-from-grace story as well particularly if there is an element of arrogance and vanity that's involved. The Germans might have come up with the term schadenfreude, but it's practically a pastime for us Americans. And today's show legitimately checks every single box I just mentioned. When you hear the name DeLorean, your mind likely zooms directly to the movie Back to the Future and that incredibly unique brush steel gullwing time machine car. But what if I told you that that iconic time machine car was just the manifest culmination of a very long, impressive, and complicated career of a man bearing that name? Before there was Richard Branson or any other douchey rebel billionaire archetypes, John DeLorean was the original Playboy business genius. Unfortunately, his legacy is one marked with catastrophic failure rather than unending success. Was the engineering whiz a bad person? A raging narcissist scarred by his plastic surgeries until he resembled a Californian Frankenstein monster? A man who would do whatever it took to succeed? Or was he just a man who never felt adequate and needed to validate himself at every opportunity to overcome his own childhood demons? Well. Crank up that flux capacitor, call Doc Brown, and get this bitch up to 88 miles per hour as we delve into the legend and cautionary tale that is John DeLorean on this latest episode of Asshole Court. All right, before we get started with preliminary scores, uh, we first want to give a shout out to Nicholas Smith. He's a Patreon member, uh, and he gave us this episode suggestion. Surprisingly, I've been fascinated by DeLorean for like a number of years, but it never registered with me to do an episode on him. So big thanks to Nicholas. I feel like we've had more requests for John DeLorean over the years. It's possible. Uh, apparently, we've been missing people here and there. <laughs> I yeah. know this one is the one I saw most recently. Look, we're human. We're yes. not perfect. Yeah. Yes. More human than human. We get yeah. a lot of emails and stuff, and we love it. You know. Yeah. Sometimes we we might we drop the ball. A little it bit. is. In fact, uh, we dropped it here recently <laughs> to bring that up. Uh, we want to give a big shout out to Scott and Twig in Australia for their Liver King request from back in January, which we somehow left off uh, the credit list and uh, genuinely feel bad. In fact, what's funny was when we first started talking about Liver King uh, before the show, I, I didn't know anything about Liver King. And I was like, isn't he like Australian? 
And then uh, Randy was like, now he's from Texas. And I think I just sort of blended the fact that Scott and Twig from Australia had requested Liver King and assumed that he was Australian as well. So big shout out, Scott and Twig. We appreciate you guys for real. Oh, yeah. for sure. And if it came all the way from Australia, it took a minute to get here. So. That is exactly right. Yeah, yeah, That's exactly. right. On the uh, Telegram. Yeah, That's how exactly. we got it. Western Union. That's it. And then we have one more shout out. And this is uh, for a near and dear fan, Judy Miller. She's been a big fan for a long time. Super Judy. Fan. Judy. Patreon member. What's up? That's right. Uh, and she uh, just gave us a shout out about her son, Christian Miller. He's 18 years old and just graduated high school. And he started his own company, Social Frequency. And he just won an award of her Marketing 2.0 conference in Las Vegas in March. And uh, I guess he's going to accept the Young Leadership Award there, which is pretty cool. Hell yeah. Man, that's dude. awesome. And I think uh, they both listen to the show, too. Like, they do. Together and stuff like that. That's so right. that's awesome. Yeah. Little mom and son combo listening that's to the it. show. Yeah, I know. I was what like, a cool mom. That is true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think she hit us up and was like, oh, our, uh, you know, you said something and, and my kids were laughing. And I was like, how old are your kids? Because <laughs> this show. Now, in all fairness, though, I did let my son listen to the episode. Oh, oh no. Oh, I did. No. I picked a good one. What episode? It was the Saddam <laughs> Man, damn. It, well, it all was right. the episode that had the least talk about, like, busted nuts and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, this is true. So I went with that. Plus, he's a big yeah. history buff. So aside from the swear words, he seemed to enjoy it as I drove him to school the other day. Better than the Osama bin Laden episode, especially uh, with what was on bin Laden's computer. Well, that or the Jerry Falwell one where I, oh, there was, right. or yeah. the Mama June episode where hey, I was yeah, like. That would have been all right. <laughs> what, what did Uncle Randy say he would do? Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, no. I couldn't do that one. That one will never get listened. But he's Honda Civic costs way more than that now, Dad. <laughs> that's, that's honestly what might have been my son's response. Yeah. He's smart. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, anyways, a big shout out to everybody. We appreciate you guys, as always, hitting us up and telling us what shows you want to listen to. And if we miss you, just let us know. We don't do it intentionally, and we will definitely give you this shout out. Yeah. Unless you're lying to us. And well, we will okay. call you out on that. <laughs> That's right. All right. So uh, now we have our, our segment from the inbox, and uh, Randy has a few reviews that we got here recently. We did. We got a couple new reviews. Uh, the first one, the subject says, or the title of it is Funny and Well Researched. It is a five-star review. Hey, hey. Yay. It says, very entertaining and hilarious, even though I'm from Manchester, UK, and don't know a lot of the people standing trial. Personal favorite was the Koresh Waco. Humor still found in a very dark episode. I would love to hear an episode on local celebrity to me, Liam Gallagher of Oasis. Many Americans may be unaware of him, but maybe it's your turn to be less familiar with the subject matter. Anyway, keep up the good work, lads, and thanks for keeping me laughing, James. Dude, yeah. I love the Oasis uh, reference right oh, there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. The Gallagher I mean, Brothers. If you guys are our age, then Oasis was one of the biggest bands around when we were teenagers. So. Oh, yeah, them and... Like live, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they had the 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 Britpop wars between Oasis and Blur. That's right. Oh, both hated yeah, each other. I forgot yeah. about that. That's right. Oasis definitely took that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Blur kind of fell off the map. Well, they end up switching over to the Gorillas. Really? Yeah. The Gorillas were made by one of the dudes from Blur. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he just transitioned. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, okay, we got another review. We sure do. And the subject, uh, or the, <laughs> again, I fucked that up. The title of this one, I'd give you a six if I could. That's awesome. It is a five-star review again. It says, listening to your episodes over the years makes me feel like I'm eavesdropping on a conversation between a hilarious group of guy friends, and I'd like to think that your humor got me through the last months of my PhD program. Keep doing what you're doing. That comes from Avocacity on uh, from some platform, from some sort of yeah, platform. Well, whatever it is, the guy's got a PhD. Or that the makes girl, me feel maybe smart. it almost oh, sounds yeah. like it's a female listener. Could, it could be. Yeah. Either she way, she says between a group of guy friends. Oh if yeah. If it was a dude, I don't know if they would say 
guy friends. So I'm just mind. focusing on Maybe. the PhD. Yeah. I'm like, this is a smart person that likes our That's, show. That was the focal point of that <laughs> yeah. review, was that a smart person actually listens to us. And I, I love that and, one especially because it was like, we'll give you six stars because you're so badass, and I'm a genius, yeah. baby. Well, how about when that PhD money kicks in, you get on Patreon. That's right. Yeah. Well, those sometimes those PhD people are, I mean, I don't know, you end up as an adjunct professor and you're just like, Question it, but I don't think this person is. No. You're going to be a millionaire, <laughs> and you're going to send us all your Patreon. That's money. right. Become a fart circle member. <laughs> That's it. All right. Uh, we have any other stuff from the inbox, or I think that wraps it up for that part. Okay. The box is clean. Clean box. All right. Well, then let's get to preliminary scores on John Delorean. Uh, who's going first? Buddy's going to kick us off here. All right. So for John Delorean, um. I really don't know anything about this guy. I mean, of course, he made the most iconic car of the 80s, uh, especially for one of the most iconic movies, as Mikey referenced in the initial intro, uh, Back to the Future. And, uh, you know, I watched that movie a lot, which, and also, it's complete bullshit. I mean, like, October 21st, 2015 has already come, and there's no flying cars. We can't put a Pizza Hut pizza into the oven, and it just pops up within like thirty seconds. That's true. You know, I'm a, I'm a little disappointed in some of the stuff, and they even had a fax machine. Mm-hmm. Like, remember, it came over. You're oh, fired. Yeah. You got fired over by the fax, fax machine. In the future. <laughs> they do have the shoes though, That's and the right. jacket too. Like, I haven't seen the jacket. No. It, it's, oh, it's, they do have the. But yeah, they yeah. It's not the fully functional jacket, but they do have the shoes that shoes will that, that will yeah. lace up like yep. that. Yeah, but what about the hoverboard? Yeah, they don't have that. They don't have yeah. flying cars. I Not mean, that. they missed they missed a lot. They, I mean, they also didn't get the smartphone right or any of that stuff. You it's know? true. They did get video calls right, though. Well, they also got 9-11 right, and that was interesting. What? I'm totally joking. <laughs> Obviously, that would have made... I did a hard scan real yeah. quick. I was like, no, no, that's a joke. All you right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's all I really know about DeLorean is that he made the car. I don't. I, I've heard over the years that he's an asshole, but I don't have anything that I can say that definitively points to him being an asshole. So right off the rip, all I can do is uh, split the uprights, and I'm going to give him a 5.5 right off the rip because okay. I just don't know anything about him um, other than he created one of the coolest cars out of the 80s. Yep. So yeah, 5.5 right off the rip, and right. we'll see where he lands by the end of the episode. 5.5 for Buddy. All right, Randy, what do you have for your preliminary score on John DeLorean? You know, I'm kind of going into this one a lot like Buddy. I know he made the car, and I imagine he had to fall off, right? Mm -hmm. Because the cars aren't made anymore, and you don't really hear of this guy. That is true. um, Other than people who kind of know about the history of cars and shit like that. And, I mean, like, you would expect that, like, somebody else would have picked it up and, like, kept on his work if it was a good product or something Mm -hmm. like that. So I'm interested to hear a little bit about the car. I don't know why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, like, this guy, I have no idea, but I think he may be, like, close to John McAfee if he's, like, a weirdo, eccentric. Oh, oh that's a good you know correlation. I mean? But right I don't there. know. He I don't know. He kind of looks is, like John McAfee that's, a little I bit. have seen pictures of him, and I that's the only thing, like, mentally I can kind of piece together. I will say that is an excellent hot take. All right, cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. In the right. sense of, like, that, that Not just, knowing shit. Yeah, it makes sense. You're like, that. I can see him being John McAfee, being yeah. a weirdo that yeah. had a good product, Rags or at least a riches. famous product, and then it just didn't work out for him somehow. Right, yeah. right. So, you know, honestly, I've got him pre-show. He's right there with Screech. I'm going to put him at a 4.6 okay. pre-show. Same score as Dustin Diamond, our boy Screech from Say by the Bell. Nice. 4.6 for Randy. That's it. That could have been what he looked like as a teenager. And then off to McAfee as the senior. As the you know, senior. There will be a lot of Google image uh, searching by people listening to this <laughs> podcast. I promise you. All right, Mikey, bring us home. 
Okay, um, I, I know a lot about this guy. I know a lot. I know everything. <laughs> I know. Did you know a lot going into the show? I do, yes. I know a lot about things, about life in general, and also about <laughs> John DeLorean. I <laughs> uh, should see Mikey's Google search history. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> especially after doing the research on this one. You go down those rabbit holes, like I said, it's a lot of... Uh, you know, it's just, you look at strange stuff and all of a sudden you're like Googling what, what does this person look like? What does this girl look like? (laughs) (laughs) What does this girl look like naked? Has this girl ever been in Playboy? Yeah. 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 If they're hot enough, sometimes you're like that name plus nude. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) And, uh, Mr. Incognito. That is right. Well, I don't even, yeah, I don't have to sweat that shit. No one's going on my laptop unless it's my work laptop. I've made the mistake before. In general. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so uh, John DeLorean is a is a fascinating figure. Everybody knows him for the car, but I don't think people realize like a lot of the stuff that he had to do with before he invented the DeLorean Motor Company, right? So I, I thought it was kind of interesting, but to start him off, I was just going to say, you know, just uh, boilerplate five. Okay. Yeah, I found it interesting that you were mentioning him in the same, like, tone with like Andrew Carnegie, mm-hmm. uh, Ford, and then also like Richard Branson and stuff like that, yeah. so... I didn't realize that he was, I, I, I guess, incredibly wealthy before the DeLorean. Yes. To start your own car company, I would imagine you got to have some. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he had a, a, well, as we're going to find out, he had a, an interesting career before the uh, DMC. Gotcha. All right. With a 5.5 from Buddy, 4.6 from Randy, and a 5.0 from Mikey, John DeLorean's pre-show asshole score is a 5.03. All right, 5.03, right above... Kid Rock, you finished it at a 4.9, and just below podcast mogul Joe Rogan at 5.07. Okay. So, in between oh, nice. uh, Kid Rock and Joe Rogan falls John DeLorean pre-show. Kid DeLorean Rogan. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. it. That's fantastic. Okay, were you guys uh, ready to go back to the future? I don't. That's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take Jump off. Jump into it. All John Zachary DeLorean is born in Detroit, Michigan on January 6, 1925 to Zachary and Catherine DeLorean. So John is a Capricorn, and as we all know, Capricorns are overachievers, persistent, practical, sensitive, and are known for creating unit cars that end up in 80s sci-fi comedies. <laughs> I did see that one time. Was, right. I think it was at the Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got it Our in the- Fortune cookie. That's right. I mean, every Capricorn I know, Capricorn I know, is that how you- Capcorn? Capricorn? Capricorn. Every Capricorn I know- Definitely creates cars that end up in movies. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When's his birthday again? Uh, January 6th, 1925. And he's a junior, right? He is a junior. Well, he's not a junior. He's John Zachary DeLorean. His dad is Zachary. Uh, uh, Slightly not junior-ish. Got it. It's, yeah. Anyways, uh, John's parents are of Romanian and Hungarian descent, respectively. Zachary, his father, had moved to the U.S. from a small village in what is now Romania named Shugog. Apparently, he'd kind of bounced around the country from Montana to Indiana before finally settling into the Motor City and finding employment as a union organizer at the Ford factory in Highland Park. Zachary had a hard time grasping the English language, apparently, however, and uh, having come from the Romanian farmland peasantry like some movie extra on Bram Stoker's Dracula, he hadn't really had access to formal education at all. So he was effectively trapped as a low-level laborer. John later recalled, Quote, my father, he was the youngest of like 13 kids, a farming family in the middle of Europe. He came to this country all by himself at age 15 or 16. He fought his way through a variety of jobs, including being a cowboy, a factory worker. The way the world casts its lot, my father was destined to be a common laborer all of his life. 
He also led a frustrated life because he felt he had a contribution to make, but nobody would listen when you're just a little guy. But something else hindered Zachary's career development, and that was booze. Oh, yeah. As auto business reporter J. Patrick Wright would recall about his conversations with DeLorean on the matter, quote, we would sometimes talk about his family or the way he grew up. He had talked about how, like his dad was and his buddies on a payday on a Friday night, would go get their paycheck, go to a local bar, get into fights, and beat the crap out of cops. There was these big brawls that would spill out on the street, and John said that his father kind of enjoyed that. I think he said his dad was an alcoholic. There was some physical abuse going on in the household, too. So he's like, hey, I'm going to go get my check, get drunk, and beat up a bunch of cops I, that's, with my friends? Like, that's yeah. your standard Friday night? I mean, I bet that might have happened once. But Probably, that, yeah. That became, like, the thing. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That became the story. It could be the case, yeah. yeah. Although those, those union organizers back in, like, the early part of the 20th century legit. pretty hard. They were definitely fighting in the streets yeah. a good bit. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. And yeah. he didn't speak English, so. Yeah. yeah. What else are you going to do? You just fight. You're yeah. some <laughs> fucking Romanian farm kid. <laughs> Next thing you know, they're like, hey, let's make that guy the union organizer. <laughs> he beat the fuck out of He's a- got a rubber head. <laughs> yeah. I saw him get decked with a bottle last yeah. weekend, didn't go down. He's the one we want in charge. <laughs> he beat the shit out of Officer O'Flannery, man. It was fantastic. <laughs> And like, forgive me here, but Zachary sounds kind of like a fun date, you know? I mean, who doesn't like to get paid, get drunk, and go rough up a few cops? And the answer is Catherine. <laughs> Catherine, <laughs> she did not like that at all. Huh, shocker. Yeah, yeah. The marriage was tense, full of fighting, and frequent separations. Uh, J. Patrick Wright, again, uh, this is the guy, like I said, he was, wrote that novel, or the, the, the book about John DeLorean. Quote, his father and mother, apparently, they had a hard time getting along. Things got rough, and his mother would pick up the kids and move to California for a while, and then come back. That was kind of his life. When Man, John that's had, a long way from yeah, Detroit like to California. Yeah, she Did had she a, have some family out yeah, there. Yeah, she something? had a sister that lived in Los Angeles. Okay, oh, okay. that so, makes sense now. Yeah, yeah that well, would be like, weird. Yeah, they went from Montana to Indiana to yeah. Detroit to yeah. California. Yeah, yeah. It was just like they're escaping for a weekend, and instead of just <laughs> going to like a hotel, they just go to California. We're gonna be homeless. In L.A. for a weekend and then drive back. It's a bit warmer down there. I can't stand being around your father. We're driving to L.A. <laughs> yeah. That would uh, be a wild ride back in like the 30s. Yeah. Without the highway system. Oh, it would have taken you forever. <laughs> yeah. God, oh, it would have taken you And those Route 66, Those basically? cars broke down all the time, all too. All the time, yeah. You probably had to stop and let that thing uh, cool off a few times, like in Nebraska. <laughs> that would suck. Uh, when John is just 17, his parents divorce for good. Uh, his father, unfortunately, becomes a drug-addicted shut-in at a boarding house, and John very rarely sees him. And his father would uh, pass away shortly after and leave absolutely nothing behind for his family. Damn. Yeah. Gail Sheehy, who interviewed DeLorean later for her book. <laughs> that was automatic. <laughs> That's what ran through my mind. As soon as, as, soon as Mikey said it, Buddy had to take himself away from the microphone, and I, I had to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You have Gail Sheehy and Janet Shimon. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, she uh, she interviewed DeLorean later for her book Passages, and she recalled, quote, his father died and left the family with nothing, and John with no emotional sense of love or belonging or self-worth. You could tell from the way he told it in a halting way that there was a lot of pain there. There was a lot of loss. There was a lot of sense of never being anything or anybody. That certainly never went with the image that the public had once he began rolling. So you knew that underneath, he would probably always have a sense of inner powerlessness and fear of being nobody. So he had to become really somebody to keep that at bay. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Your dad is like 
I mean, the only thing of note he's doing is beating up <laughs> Officer O'Flannery on That's the weekends. Right. Yeah, getting hammered and yeah, doing a bunch of drugs. Yeah, like yeah. Conversely, as is often the case with the household with an angry, drunken father, John's mother works hard for the security of her four children. Catherine works at the Carboloy Products Division of GE, in addition to multiple other ad hoc jobs to keep the family's head above water. And John, perhaps as a coping mechanism, digs deeply into schoolwork where he uh, shows like significant promise. As a child, he attends Detroit public schools and stands out enough to be accepted into Cass Technical High School. He signs up for the electrical curriculum and excels there as well. So you said Cass Electrical or Cass? Ca- te- yeah, it was called uh, Cass Technical High School. Okay, so like a probably a step up high school than exactly. versus a normal like a magnet school or something like that. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it was like specific, teaching you a trade. What basically? you would call a STEM school nowadays? Okay. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Which, like I said, also makes me think because we've talked about it before. The fact that we went to a generic high school and didn't have any access to specialized high schools at all. If we could have created a special high school that was tailored to foster our innate career interests, what type of school would uh, you guys have attended? I'd, like, Randy, would you have gone to Doyle Brunson's high school of gambling development? Yeah, either oh, that yeah. or um, like a WWE training ground facility. <laughs> yeah. If you guys remember. I do remember him. When I was in high school, man, I was big and strong, and I wanted to be a pro wrestler for yeah. a while. Oh, I got suplexed into your pool like a thousand times oh, yeah. over the oh, years. Yeah. The best was that one guy that we hung out with that was pretty tall, and I saw you do the razor's edge on him into your into, into the your pool. <laughs> pool. He, hit, he hit the bottom pretty yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was it this was an above ground pool with a deck built around it, but it was still only like three feet deep. Four we feet, were we were we, yeah. we were about one inch away from being an episode of Rescue Nine One One with that one. <laughs> but no, for real, we always talked about um, him going to the powerhouse, which was WCW's yep. training facility in here Atlanta. in Atlanta. Yeah, and uh, we were all sort of scrambling to see who was going to be his manager because we oh. honestly. I wanted to be the manager. Oh, we all like. did. Yeah. I mean, honestly, grab those coattails, baby. Right? I was yeah. like, I'm not doing the hard work. And I decided that probably wouldn't be the best path forward in life, no. so I went to college. Yeah, yes. we would have had the WWE entourage thing going on. So Yeah, I mean, that's a tough grind. I think you made the right decision. Right, yeah, I'd be at like... Tampa Comic Con right now <laughs> signing autographs with like bad knees and no yeah. money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the cat showing up at the shady, the shady weirdo bar and being like, you know who I am? He came to my birthday <laughs> yeah, party one that's time. Right. Yeah, Ernest the Cat Miller came uh, to my birthday party that's one right. year. Yeah. That's right. Say what? Ernest the Cat Miller. He was a oh, professional yeah, wrestler. That's right. And me and another guy we hung out with had the same birthday and he knew a guy that knew Ernest the Cat Miller and we yeah. had a party at his house and Strippers and a pro wrestler showed up to my birthday party. It was pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Wasn't there another like New Year's Eve or something where you had like a member of a band come to your... Oh, no, that uh, was Christmas, and that was with the uh, guitarist from, from Ted, Ted Nugent. Nugent. Yeah, yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, there you go. Derek St. Holmes. That's him. That's yeah, it. That's, that's right. It. Randy uh, swims in celebrity. That's how I roll. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Ernest the Cat Miller was sort of like a local guy around town, too, because like I said, I remember him asking me specifically, do you know who I am? And I thought he was Ray Lewis. <laughs> True story. Then he signed a napkin and handed it to me, and I didn't give a shit. So I don't know, but yes, I uh, that's uh, that would have been an interesting uh, WCW high school. That yeah, would, that would have been cool. Yeah, been yeah, it, yeah. yeah, I think my high school. I don't know what mine would have been. I don't. I don't even. I still don't know what I want to do with my life. <laughs> yeah, I probably would have tried to be Randy's manager and like yeah. gone to some yeah. kind of like manager school or something like that. There you some go. kind of talent manager. Yeah, yeah I could. Yeah, that, that would make sense. It'd be like the mouth of the South high school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, exactly. Especially like with my dad being in the music business, like I would have done something. Yeah, like, yeah, geared towards that. Yeah, the Paul Bear uh, Technical School <laughs> of Wrestling Management. I love it. 
Tired of commercials in the middle of your asshole cord episodes? Do you want to say in the next show's subject or the next conspiracy we discuss? Well, now you can. Go to patreon.com and find us at AHC Podcast. Get those ad-free shows you want, get some input on who you want to hear about, and become internet famous with a shout-out on one of our shows. We've even got stickers and swag to show off to all your friends, and you'll get all our new Conspiracy Court episodes. Go to patreon.com today and find us at AHC Podcast. All right, anyways, because DeLorean does so well at CAS, he gets a full scholarship to Lawrence Institute of Technology, which was a small college. <laughs> L-I-T. Lit. Yeah, yeah, it is. Lit. Lit. <laughs> lit. Uh, which was a small college, uh, but also the alma mater of many of the best automobile engineers of that time. So it was a legitimate school like specialized for automobile engineering, I okay. guess. But just as he's getting started as a promising student at the school, he gets drafted into WW2. A lot of people did, man, back in that day. Oh, you had to go. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. I mean, like, you had baseball players, actors, Mm -hmm. everybody was going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wrestling managers, they had to go to. They had to go. That's it. There he sees intense combat and is even involved in an operation to rescue Colonel Robert Hogan and kill German prison commander Colonel Wilhelm Klink. And I'm kidding about those. Uh, those are characters from the old show, Hogan's Heroes. I was about to ask. I heard a clink. I was like, I think that's from Hogan's Heroes. That is from Hogan's Heroes. And DeLorean didn't seem to do much of note in WW2, but any boomers listening might appreciate the nod to Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> the rest of you, not so much. I don't. Yeah. I don't nobody's watching Hogan's Heroes no. that is under the age of 50, I think. Yeah, that was kind of like when we were young and MASH would come on and be like, all right, time to go to yeah. bed. That w- yes, I remember having... That song is anxiety-inducing. Uh-huh. Time to turn it. Yeah. That's, that's what that song means. It's exactly right. Find and then, something else on TV. And then you find out the song, the name of that song's title is Suicide is Painless, and you're like, this is, yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> rough. Yeah. <laughs> suicide is painless. Yeah, and you're like, I, I can't fucking sleep, man. <laughs> it's a disaster. Anyway, 1946, he receives an honorable discharge and returns to Detroit, where he finds his mother and siblings in pretty bad financial shape. So he takes a job at the Public Lighting Commission as a draftsman to make enough money to get his mother and like his siblings back on their feet. Finally, after about a year and a half, and with his family financially secure, he returns to the Lawrence Institute to continue his studies. And at this point, DeLorean seems like almost saintly. But an event there might detail the other side of DeLorean's thought process a little bit. While attending school at Lawrence, he tried out an ill-fated business scheme. He went out thinking he could pretend to be the Yellow Pages. He could sell ads and just print up a few books on his own and distribute them. Obviously, he wasn't going to be able to distribute them to every home like the real Yellow Pages, so he was caught and was facing serious charges of fraud until a college professor of his uh, intervenes and saves his ass. According to some people that interacted with him frequently, what he learned from his experience was that a little charm and a quick wit could get you off the hook in the worst of circumstances. Still rings true today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, I was it's like a little bit of money and a little bit of wit. That well, certainly helps. You know. But I was thinking of the chocolate bar uh, scam that Randy ran as a football. Oh yeah, yeah for the for the booster club. That's right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How much do they cost? Double. That's right. <laughs> How many do I eat every time I sell one? One. That's right. <laughs> Uh, But while he was running a fraudulent operation, he was also working at Chrysler part-time, working at a body shop part-time, and completing his studies to get his Bachelor of Science degree in industrial engineering. Dude's like a go-getter for sure. For sure. Yeah. So when he graduates, he surprises a lot of people by not entering directly into an engineering job, but instead goes into the life insurance sales game. He would later state that it was done with the intention of improving his communication skills. 
Within 10 months, by devising a targeted approach at fellow engineers, DeLorean had sold $850,000 in policies, the equivalent today of almost $11 million. Wow. wow. Jeez. So, fucking mission accomplished there, John. Communication skills acquired. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> man, yeah. he got lit over there, man. He did. Lawrence Institute of Technology. Yeah, helped him out. That's right. But this work bores the prodigy slash savant. So, he takes to killing homeless people in the streets of Detroit to improve his hunting skills. Nice. John the Ripper. Yeah. It was easy back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a lot of closed circuit TV cameras. No, no. All over the place. Not a lot of uh, DNA or anything. No. <laughs> Just drive to LA. I said, what happened to that guy? He said, I don't know. Let's take our lunch break. <laughs> Uh, no, anyways, uh, he switches back to engineering and he lands a job at the uh, imaginatively named Factory Equipment Corporation, <laughs> which sat next to the industrial construction supply factory house in the equally well-named location, the Building Building Building. <laughs> <laughs> the Triple B. That's right. Uh, he also briefly attends law school at Detroit College of Law, but quickly is like, ah, fuck this shit, fuck man. This. Yeah. <laughs> And the work at FEC bores him as well, so he begins putting feelers out, looking to get back into his real love, the auto industry. A foreman at Chrysler's engineering garage recommends he apply for work at Chrysler, so he does, and he's hired. More importantly, Chrysler ran a postgraduate educational facility, the Chrysler Institute of Engineering, which allowed DeLorean to advance his education while gaining real-world experience in automotive engineering. In 1952, he graduated from the Chrysler Institute with a master's degree in automotive engineering and joined Chrysler's engineering team. He also begins taking night classes at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business for his MBA. Like, this dude does not sleep. I was about to say, he is a go-getter. Yeah, yeah 100%. I don't think he's fucking at all at this point. I, I, There's no, he, zero social life, just burying himself in work. He's kind yeah. of just being an Elon Musk, basically, at this point. Yeah, I mean, maybe so, you know. I feel like a degenerate when I'm reading about this guy's oh, track. No doubt. He's getting multiple degrees at once. <laughs> yeah. And he's Fuck working. Yeah. yeah. Like working three jobs. He's like sells so much interns. I'd be like, I'm set for life. I, 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 it's a cheat code on life. And he's like, this bores me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, after being at Chrysler for roughly a year, he gets an offer from the Packard Motor Company to jump ship and he takes it. His salary, $14,000 a year, which is actually about $160,000 these days. Okay. Yeah, it's not bad. While there, he quickly gets recognized for a pretty outstanding improvement on their automatic transmission. And after just four years, DeLorean becomes Packard's head of research and development, which is shockingly impressive for a 32-year-old. Wow. All right. Yeah. At 32, I was still skateboarding and hurting myself on lunch breaks with my unimpressive office job. <laughs> that is a true story. I remember I, the skateboarding days. Yes, the skateboarding day. And there was a skate park next to my office, and I do remember eating shit on the bowl and laying there and looking up at the sky and being like... You are a 32-year-old man <laughs> on your lunch break, hurting yourself on a skateboard. And DeLorean is the head of research and development at the Packard Motor Company. But Packard, the company itself, has some issues, obviously. Like, nobody is rolling around in a 2023 Packard, no, are they? No, they're not. <laughs> the problems weren't because of DeLorean, though, so no harm, no foul. Uh, and around that time, like Packard was actually merging with Studebaker, and DeLorean was considering his position with the company. Uh, he actually gets a call at this point from Oliver Kelly, who's the vice president of engineering at GM, the biggest name in automobiles at the time. And Kelly's like, Mr. DeLorean, you're a total badass, and GM wants you to leave that wank-ass Packard gig and come run with the big dogs. You can work in any of our five divisions that you choose. DeLorean thinks for a minute, and then he's like, Pontiac, send me to Pontiac, which at that time, 
uh, doesn't sound as insane as it would now. <laughs> <laughs> Big well, shout they, out. Well, they had the GTO, which was a badass muscle car oh, in yeah. the about 60s. To say, yeah. He created the Firebird. Yeah, I say a big shout out to modern Pontiac engineers for works of art like the Aztec and the Vibe. God, <laughs> woof, two of the worst. That's right. Anyway, in 1956, DeLorean goes to Pontiac with a sweet payday of sixteen thousand a year, roughly one hundred eighty thousand these days. DeLorean unsurprisingly kicks ass right away there too, producing dozens of patented innovations for the company. In 1961, he's promoted to division chief engineer. But DeLorean isn't just interested in little tweaks in engineering. He wants the whole pie of a car. And around this time, he gets a shot. DeLorean is looking at the Pontiac lineup and is like, this shit's boring as fuck. And I've seen all these kids now, and they're out there in their garages making their own muscle cars. It's all the rage with these little fuckers, you know? So why don't we just sell them one? The trouble was that for a number of reasons, GM had banned all of their divisions from involvement in auto racing. And that made that a tougher proposition. It was going to be a tough sell to get a whole new car project going. But DeLorean and a couple other guys were like, well, let's take this boring-ass Pontiac Tempest and drop a big-ass motor and some other cool shit in there and sell it as a special package. Executives were like, hmm, that, that, that just might work, but, but what do we call it? And DeLorean was like, well, I saw this badass Ferrari that I really liked. It's the 250 Gran Turismo Omologato. So let's go with the Gran Turismo Omologato. And the executives were like, but we're we're not Italian, John. Like <laughs> we're we're not Italian at all. And DeLorean's like, well, I like it, you know. So fuck you. And uh, they compromised, and they came up with the Pontiac GTO. GTO. Oh, okay, oh, yeah, that's where that is. came from, okay. man. Yeah. Now, isn't that a similar thing to what like uh, Ford was doing with the um, Mustang? That's correct. Lee Breaking. Iacocca. Yeah. Was that was this was at the same time that they were developing the Mustang? Mm-hmm. Was he? They were developing the GTO because they okay. were like they're like pony cars, and they were like, oh, the kids love this shit. Everybody was coming for Ferrari basically at that time, right? Well, like in the racing circuit. Yeah, 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 in the racing circuit, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But they had a whole bunch of teenagers that were like wanting to build these muscle cars and stuff like that. And it was like in Southern California, especially it was like a really big deal. And so, um, yeah, they were like, well, let's just do this and like sell it to them. And they were teaching shop like car shop in mm-hmm. high school back then. So oh, I yeah. Mean, like, You'd learn how to work on cars. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah that's, sure. This was the generation that legitimately like shine their car. Fix shit. Yeah. They could fix shit yeah. and they could, they'd shine their car at night before they went to bed. They'd go there and just stare at it and be like, mm hmm. <laughs> There's a, probably a lot of tailpipe fucking that happened from the boomers. You know what I mean? <laughs> it had to happen. Somebody out there. Yeah. yeah. Or somebody just sitting in the back seat jerking off. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just fucking, yeah. I mean, oh, seriously. Yeah. Put a towel down so you don't get it on the nice leather. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to do that. Wipe it right off. You yeah. had the bench seat so they could, like, sort of sprawl and just jack. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, <laughs> they only estimated, like, that the GTO was going to sell around 5000 the first year because it was still a risky venture. They didn't know, right? They're like, well, let's see what happens. But when it comes to market, it's an absolute monster success. Frank Bridges' initial sales forecast of 5,000 units proved inaccurate. The GTO package's total sales amounted to 32,450 units. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like pretty much a six-fold. Uh, yeah. 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 And that kind of success makes careers and certainly makes DeLoreans. They gave him, like, all the credit for this. They were like, the GTO is 100% DeLorean pretty wow. much. Wow, wow. Okay. Yeah, there was other people that were involved, but, like, he was the one, basically, they went soup to nuts on this thing. Huh. So, 
that's insane to think that the GTO is still around today and that the DeLorean's like a right. thing of the past. Yeah. If he's the one that created it, you know. I know. That's true. Uh, and also, the GTOs they have now just look like fucking like a Grand Am that yeah. they just souped up. They're hideous. <laughs> They're terrible. I know. Terrible. I'm like, do a throwback. Do the, that badass. Like the charger. Yeah, like, yeah, do yeah. like the badass judge looking one. Yeah. From back in the or like early 70s. Those things are yeah. fucking awesome. By 1965, he's promoted to the head of the Pontiac Division and immediately designs the Fiero in celebration. Oh, no. I'm no. kidding. No, that's <laughs> not. <laughs> the Fiero happened in the 80s. Isn't that a Ford Fiero? No, that was the Pontiac Fiero uh, back yeah. in the day. It was like uh, it was a sports car for chicks. Yes. <laughs> it was legit like a Ford. Like the Miata, basically? It was like a little Miata back Kinda, in the day. Yeah. It was yeah, uglier somehow. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but towards the late 60s, he is highly involved in the rollout of the uh, Pontiac Grand Prix as well which also is an incredible success. John DeLorean is Detroit's golden child at this point. In 1969, he's given the keys to the kingdom. He's offered the head of the uh, Chevrolet division of GM, which is like GM's flagship. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, his salary at that point is $200,000, roughly $1.6 million now. Oh, wow. And he also has a bonus structure, which means that he can rake in an additional 400000 or $3.2 million in a good year. Wow. Jeez, just depending on sales or something like that? Yeah. I don't know what the structure was necessarily, yeah. but... Those bonus structures, like I said, that's like pretty much double what you make. It's yeah. just extra frosting there. And like I said, he's also becoming relatively famous in the mainstream as well. He isn't just some button-down corporate drone. He's fucking John DeLorean. He's got big-ass sideburns and longish hair and wears stylish suits and spends time in L.A. With his aunt. That's right. <laughs> he drops his secretary wife and he marries model Kelly Harmon, who's the sister of Mark Harmon, the guy from summer school and NCIS. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. interesting. And okay. I was like, how fucking old is Mark Harmon? <laughs> you know what I mean? His sister's getting married off in 1969? Yeah, oh, that is old. Yeah, yeah. so I remember I was talking about I had to look up images? I looked her up. Hell she looks like Mark Harmon in the face. It's terrifying. <laughs> With a wig on? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine fucking the guy from NCIS. It's like Bob Saget's daughter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just looks like Bob Saget with a wig. It's a disaster. <laughs> and it's around this time that DeLorean decides he's going to do something about that little bitch-ass lump under his mouth that he calls a chin. Now, if DeLorean had been lucky enough to be around today, he'd have just grown a beard, which probably would have been like spectacular considering those Romanian-Hungarian genes. Very true, <laughs> yeah. But it being the 60s means that no self-respecting dude that isn't playing Woodstock has facial hair, so he opts for plastic surgery. You know, that's actually one of the funniest scenes in one of the Avengers movies. They time travel back, and it's uh, Iron Man and Captain America. Yeah. And Iron Man has, like, this kind of, like, chiseled beard. Yeah. And they're like, we got to check out that guy. He has, like, a, he's got, a, like, a Mungo Jerry beard yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's definitely some kind of trouble. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, beards were weird for dudes back then. You could have the sideburns, even yeah. the lamb chops. Yeah. They were starting to stretch out pretty long there towards the late 60s. But having actual facial hair besides that... No, sir. Fucking hippie. That's right. So he, like I said, he opts for plastic surgery to save that little fucking chin that he had. Chinless wonder, this motherfucker. And uh, I said, it, this is a time in which plastic surgery, which still has a tendency to plasticize people's appearances, was pretty rudimentary. And the reason that it suddenly looked like DeLorean had applied a rope of silly putty to the bottom of his face as a costume chin. Oh. Yes. <laughs> DeLorean's infamous foot face was born. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. You got to look him up before... Like, look him up when he was, like, in the early 60s, and he legit, like, no chin. Poor little bastard. They're looking it up right now. I knew there would be some yeah, people you know we're gonna, searching. Yeah, uh, you know we're searching it up. <laughs> yeah, it's square. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very square. That's a, a foot face. 
That's a lot going on That's there. That's legitimately when your face looks like a foot, like the bottom of a foot that has like a just a fucking face on it. It does. <laughs> kind of looks like a... Yeah, a that he- right there. His yeah. chin looks like a heel. Like it does. Yes, it is the heel. Yeah, that's what it went to. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you seen him before? Yeah, it had a little lump right under Yeah, his, just yeah. a little wiener chin, poor fella. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Millionaire with your wiener chin. That's right. He said, fuck it, man. I'm going to go do this insane fucking cosmetic surgery that nobody's mastered yet. <laughs> But the cheesy cosmetic surgery aside, John DeLorean is a fucking rock star businessman and an engineer. He's Richard Branson slash Elon Musk business heartthrob man before that was even a thing. He becomes a significant percentage owner in both the San Diego Chargers and the New York Yankees at this time. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was one of the ones that bought it with Steinbrenner with the Yankees. Seriously? Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Everything he touches has turned to gold. Like, he can't fucking miss, man. DeLorean gets straight to work at Chevrolet. Uh, this is when he gets that job there. And he starts fixing project issues with the Camaro, the Nova, and the Corvette. And his winning streak continues. Like, as soon as he comes in, he's like, okay, we have all these projects that are fucked up. Let me go ahead and take care of this. And immediately, in that, in that first year, he's crushing it. And they're doing, like, almost as much business as the entirety of Ford. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, just his think, division, yeah. Like, the Camaro and the Corvette are still huge today. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, they were in, he didn't invent those ones or, or make those ones, but they were running behind in production. So he, he got them back on track back correct. in the 60s, and here yeah. they are, 2023, still huge cars. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely, man. His winning streak continues, and they, uh, the Chevrolet figures that he's just the right guy to oversee the rollout of the latest, greatest name badge in the Chevrolet lineup, the Chevy Vega. What's that? You're not familiar with the Chevy Vega? Oh, <laughs> Well, there's definitely a reason for that. And that is because the Chevy Vega was a notorious piece of shit and corporate boondoggle. Oh, no. Let me explain. The car project came from the GM, like, C-suite. The president of GM, Ed Cole, in fact. He was the one that was like, I want this car done, right? And it was a subcompact car, and for one reason or another, GM really put their weight behind the launch of it. And DeLorean was a big part of this. This included marketing. So in 1970, DeLorean goes to Motor Trend Magazine and says things like, quote, Vega will be the highest quality product ever built by Chevrolet. He went even further, promoting the Vega as one that outhandled almost any European sports car, outaccelerated any car in its price class, and would be, quote, built at a quality level that has never been attained before in a manufacturing operation in this country and probably in the world. And to be fair, DeLorean did try to live up to those promises, at least in terms of quality. By his orders, dozens of extra inspectors were assigned to the Vega assembly line, and the first 2,000 cars were, like, road-tested. He stated, quote, the first cars, from a manufacturing standpoint, were well-built. In fact, the Vega won uh, Motor Trend's Car of the Year in 1971. Okay. Now, when you look at this thing, you're like, (laughs) this thing sucks. Like, automatically. When you see something like the Camaro or the Nova or the Chevelle, and then you see the Vega, you're like, this is the one you guys wanted to push? (laughs) Well, I mean, he had such an impressive streak before. What was to think that this wasn't going to continue? No, it's true. I mean, this is the project manager you want to handle this stuff for sure, but I'm just wondering why, like, the GM, like, executives were so, like, horny. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely horny for the Chevy Vega. I mean, it's not that bad when you consider the 70s. It looks like a Pinot. Yeah, it yeah, looks like, like a, a racy pinto and like a. It kind of looks like a Firebird a little bit crossed with a pinto. That yeah, the that orange ain't, one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the angle on that one is different. It's literally like it looks like you're like, oh hey, do you really like these super awesome Chevy muscle cars we have? But you're broke. Well, here's this guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Here's its busted cousin, <laughs> That's Vega. Right. 
It's the Dodge Dart <laughs> you see now. You know yep. what I'm saying? You can't afford the Charger or the Challenger? Well, here's a Dart. The only Vega I remember was from Street Fighter, and he was a bitch in there, too. So. Yeah, he climbed yeah, that He looked fence. like Freddy Krueger, but not. Yeah, it was like yeah. Freddy Krueger and Jason and Wolverine. Yeah. Like right. He was like a transsexual Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, man, I wish they would have said this? Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. Well, most of you at least. Let's dive back into the action. But no, I said that at that point in 1971, the Vegas seems like it's on a great track here, right? But sometimes corporate bureaucracy and infighting can cause problems, and that was definitely the case with the Vega. Because in 1972, General Motors Assembly Division, which is GMAD, took over the Chevrolet uh, Lordstown Assembly Plant and the adjoining Fisher Body Plant. Their main goal was to cut costs, and more than 800 workers were laid off, many of whom were additional inspectors. This led to assembly line vandalism, with workers intentionally slowing the line, leaving off parts, and installing others improperly. Damn, oh, yeah. man. Some sabotage. That was the quiet quitting back in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not going to tighten these bolts on uh, the seatbelt. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. They were G-mad at that. <laughs> Where? It's true. Quality issues quickly became apparent, surprisingly, right? <laughs> For example, the front <laughs> the front end of the vehicle separated at only eight miles on the General Motors test track. Oh. By nineteen seventy two, GM had issued three mass recalls, the largest covering five hundred thousand Vegas to fix defective axles, bulky throttles, and problems that caused fires. And the Vega's aluminum engine was notorious for buckling and leaking. Oh, shit. Ooh. By May 1972, six out of every seven Vegas produced was the subject of a recall. <laughs> Damn. So that's bad. <laughs> Ouch. That's like 92% of your... Yeah. That's yeah. harsh. Yeah. That's a bad project. That is a bad project. <laughs> Heads are fucking rolling for that shit. Somebody whiffed. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's the guys that were like, the bean counters that were like, well, let's just cut all the quality guys and see what happens. <laughs> We now, get the cars made. Yeah. We'll still make the cars. <laughs> yeah. Hey, output was great, man. <laughs> it was great. It, it falls apart eight <laughs> miles on the track, but, you we know. saved a lot of money. If you don't count for the recalls. Yeah. We were, we were, yeah. We did pretty good. Yeah. The first seven miles is awesome <laughs> yeah. on every car. You're going to love it. DeLorean would go on to explain that a lot of issues came from the GM executives, stating in, uh, in an interview for the book, On a Clear Day, You Can See General Motors, quote, while I was convinced that we were doing our best with the car that was given to us, I was called upon by the corporation to tout the car far beyond my personal convictions about it, end quote. So he's just like, dude, they asked me, they made me come out here and say all this really good stuff about it. I tried to fucking set it up so the quality issues would be good, and then they fucking did a rug pull on me, and here we are. Don't blame me. Yeah, <laughs> It's not me. Yeah. This, yeah, this one ain't me. Still golden child. Don't look forget at, that. Look yeah. at my history. That's right. right. This ain't me. Yeah. I got the GTO and the Grand Prix behind me. The Vega. Fuck that thing. <laughs> but even with the disaster that was the Chevy Vega, to most observing the industry, DeLorean was a shoe-in to be the GM president. Like, that was the next natural step for him, right? Sure. But the reality was that DeLorean, for all of his mavericky awesomeness, did not have any friends at the GM executive level. Mm. Probably didn't help when he's throwing them under the bus, too, yeah. being like, totally those guys' fault for the Vega. Not me. In fact, uh, it actually seems that almost all of them actively hated John DeLorean. Uh. It wasn't well, even like, that. I don't like him. It was like, fuck this guy, for real. Because oh. of the throwing under the bus? Or was he like an a asshole on the job? Or I think it was a combination of things. And also, at this point, in some of these documentaries, they talk about like 
he was not spending a lot of time in Detroit. He was constantly in Los Angeles. Trying to be Richard Branson, not... Yeah, his his executive sense of himself was that he was like a celebrity, not just a you know motor company guy. He was okay. just... Yeah. He so was he was like, trying to like rub shoulders with all of the celebrities in Hollywood, and, Hollywood and stuff like that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That makes a little sense then. Yeah. Then they were like, he's spending more time. He was trying to make them establish an office for him in Los Angeles. Ah. So with attention diverted, of course, the project fails. That's right. And like I said, the other executives hate him, but maybe it was jealousy. You know, all that success and the model wives and the weird magazine articles featuring pics of DeLorean fucking greased, shirtless and bench pressing dumbbells with jeans on. Weird. <laughs> That's a real thing. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Unless you had some weird detail. That's in your right. Head. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead and uh, I'll wait for everybody to Google image that one. This hairy chest and not great build. <laughs> Greased up with that foot face while he's yeah. laying down with some fucking like mom Bowflex shit. And maybe it was that power chin. Maybe yeah. the executives didn't like his power chin. Or maybe he was just a bit of a dick whose success had gone to that foot long head of his. It's probably some combination thereof, right? Either way, by April 2nd, 1973, DeLorean announced that he was leaving GM for good, stating, quote, I want to do things in the social area. I have to do them. And unfortunately, the nature of our business just didn't permit me to do as much as I wanted. So he's saying straight up, like, dude, I want to go hang out in L.A. Yeah. And Be I social. Yeah. Fuck Detroit, dude. I've made my money. Fuck you guys. Yeah. I'm out. Mm hmm. By this time, he would dropped Harmon as well and had remarried an even younger model, Christine Ferrara which is very close to Ferrari, and yeah. I wonder if he sort of factored that in. <laughs> uh, she was 25 years his junior. Ooh, all right. Yeah. And following the exit from GM, he announces that he will start his own car company, the DeLorean Motor Company, or DMC. All right. It wasn't hard to raise money for the venture. DeLorean was, after all, a well-known success story, the father of the GTO, the Grand Prix, and multiple engineering innovations. And he had already proved himself a successful talker into getting a bunch of money previously. Mm -hmm. So, oh, like, yeah. yeah, now with everything behind him, he yep. was like, hey, come yeah. on, this is a new venture. Yeah. He definitely took some meetings while he bench-pressed with his little bitch-ass <laughs> dumbbells. So let me tell you about this idea I've got. You know me, right? You know what I like? <sighs> Ah. Yep, there it is. You want to you spot me? I got 25 pounds on each one of these motherfuckers. <laughs> Bank of America threw in along with multiple celebrities, including Johnny Carson, Sammy Davis Jr., and Roy Clark. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Didn't work out well for them. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. <laughs> and DeLorean was smart enough to know to look for some lucrative tax and investment incentives from supportive governments. He almost lands uh, on Puerto Rico as production location before being given a sweetheart deal by the British government to locate manufacturing out of Northern Ireland. Okay. To do this, they would foot approximately $120 million of the necessary $200 million startup cost. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, in the 70s, Northern Ireland was an incredibly violent place due yeah. to the insurrectionist war known as the Troubles that was occurring between the UK government and the IRA. The British government assumed that if they could increase employment, that it would have a mitigating effect on IRA attacks. You know, if people are happily employed and not yeah. desperate, they tend to be more willing to conform to society and not blow stuff up. That's right. So it's not a bad theory by the British government. And like I mentioned, John DeLorean isn't an unknown, so it seems like a pretty smart investment on the UK's part. Sure. By 1978, construction on the massive plant and test track had begun in Belfast. And for the car itself, the iconic DeLorean DMC-12... John had taken note of the oil shock of the 1970s and had been inspired to create a sexy performance vehicle that was also fuel efficient. Okay. And the design itself was entirely unique. A rear engine, two-seater with those iconic, totally badass gold wing doors. 
I do love those doors. Oh, hell oh yeah. that's I mean that made it. Yeah, you know, it I mean, really did. And I mean, you see, still see like Tesla and even like Lamborghini mm-hmm. and stuff like that using that to this day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know? the Lambo doors are the ones that sort of go up. Up. But yeah, I like the gold wings. Yeah, the ones yeah. that float, like, like yeah. the Teslas yeah. do. The right? Tesla. Yeah, the model is it the Model X that has the. The, yeah, the gold wings in the yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, it is not a practical door at all. No, <laughs> it's flashy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, I imagine getting out of like a parking deck in that thing. Yeah, well, they th- that was one of the things they were talking about when the Model X first came out because you're like, what do you do in a parking deck? And it actually will raise up first and then, and then out. go out. So it'll yeah. be yeah, like it wings out like yeah. A, yeah, yeah. The DeLorean not so much. They hadn't had the computer technology to sort of make the doors do that. You just open that bitch up, you know, like Doc Brown. Yeah, yeah. With fucking it. fog rolling out of it, like. Marty, come here! <laughs> uh, DeLorean had designed the car with brushed stainless steel outer body panels, which made them extremely corrosion resistant, but also made them practically impossible to paint. Huh. So the finished product was a, like the well-known brushed metal look, not out of aesthetics really, but sheer practicality. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like all the stainless steel cups, but just yes. with, a car, with an engine inside of it. When I was reading this, actually, they were saying some dealerships did paint these. But it just didn't do well. Just didn't okay. look good, yeah. or like yeah. it would like fade quickly. Or yeah, something, the, or? that brush metal doesn't hold paint well, especially you know? like in the rain. I'm guessing. And well, also at that time, the matte finish wasn't cool. Yeah, it was all gloss, right? You wanted yeah. the cherry paint or yeah. the fucking candy paint. Yeah. yeah. So it just didn't look right, and they even pinstripes look weird on it. They said when they were trying to add stuff to it, so it just ended up looking like that. The cool thing was he made it that way because he wanted it to be sort of like. I don't know, like you futuristic. Couldn't, you couldn't destroy it. He was like, I want it. Yeah. I, it's built to last. He was like, you you won't see a bunch forever. of different models right. of it. It'll look the same moving forward. Yeah. yeah. And they said another problem was with that brushed metal that you could see handprints on it really easily, mm. which I, didn't make sense to me. But I guess so. That when you're banging weird. your girl on it, you got to oh, yeah. make sure to buff out the handprints right. afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You go ass to the future. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched that before. Yeah, I'm sure it's a real fucking porn. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't sure. at all. <laughs> and while DeLorean pushed to make the car a performance vehicle, it didn't really stand up to that test and was derided for being notoriously underpowered. Road and Track commented on their test, quote, it's not a barn burner with a 0 to 60 mile per hour time of 10.5 seconds. Frankly, that's not quick for a sports GT car in this price category. I'm not even sure it could get up to 88 miles per hour. I think that's maybe right? the inside joke when <laughs> yeah. they had it. Like, they're really pushing to get to 88. Uh, but, yeah, that was like, they were like, dude. Well, so when it came out, I think it was like $20,000 at that time, which was roughly $70,000. Okay. Oh, Jesus. So a $70,000 car that is going 0 to 60 in like almost 11 seconds. <laughs> right. <laughs> when the Vega is beating you off of yeah. the yeah, yeah, red light. Exactly. Yeah. I think my Honda Pilot may hit <laughs> 0 to 60. In equivalent time. Oh, better than 10 seconds. Yeah, I would think so. But still, no matter what, there's definitely consumers that are ready for this vehicle to roll out. Because it looks cool and is interesting. The problems, though, for the DeLorean Motor Company went just beyond design flaws. Workers at the factory were generally inexperienced. Many never had jobs before joining DMC. This may have contributed to the reported quality issues attributed to the early production vehicles and the subsequent establishment of quality assurance centers located at various delivery locations. QACs, the Quality Assurance Centers, were set up in California, New Jersey, and Michigan, where some of the quality issues were to be addressed and resolved before delivery to dealerships. So they were like, you make them over here, then you ship them to us, then we fix them, then they go to the dealerships, then you can sell them. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's not a yeah. great not a great system. No. And they're like, well, why is it going so wrong? And they're like, I don't know. We got Mick Dundee over here that can't fucking figure. I've never built a car before. <laughs> yeah. He said, they want me to stop blowing shit up, so I came over here and made a car. Don't know what the fuck I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> 
some of the issues that were related to the quality assurance centers were the fitting of body panels, higher output alternators, and the gold wing door adjustments. Because, again, oh, those gold wing doors, as cool as they are, they are problematic. Just slam it through it hard, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It seems good to me. I don't give a fuck. Let's go get a pint. Call it a day. <laughs> It's Friday. We got to go beat up some cops. <laughs> These quality issues and middling reviews contributed to a decreased demand that began to cause further issues for the company's already troubled balance sheet. Just a few years in, and the DeLorean sales had fallen short of their break even point by roughly half. And that's really oh. bad. Oh. <laughs> I, I looked over at Randy. <laughs> the facial expression was exactly yeah. right. Uh huh. Oh. It was a. Yeah. Ooh. I just imagine Johnny Carson. Ah, oh, yeah. that's not good. That's, that's not good. <laughs> gonna have to cut ties. What the fuck is going on, John? <laughs> and then Sammy Davis was the other investor. Hey, baby. Skip up and a pop, but now no good, Johnny. He said, "I'll tell you what. The problem is I haven't. I've been worshiping Satan. <laughs> that's right. Hey, fat cat daddy, yo, where's my money gone, player? And Satan told me to invest in your company, and now I'm beginning to think that he ain't up on the square, baby." <laughs> I don't even know if that's what Sammy Davis sounds like. <laughs> I'm going to clip some in. Yeah. Some yeah. We got Randy over here with Bill Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even know what Mike yeah. is doing. Generic 70s funk man. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, yes. Skip Daddy. <laughs> the plan then at this point, when they're really struggling, right, was to take the company public for a capital injection that would bridge the gap, hopefully, while they worked out the demand issues amongst others. They were like, hey, let's do a public offering. Yep. They were anticipating raising $27 million on their IPO. Okay. I think it may have been successful, right? The problem is the SEC stepped in and was like, nah, sorry there, foot face. Market's closed, motherfucker. Oh, yeah, the stock issuance was canceled. Oh, snaps. Yeah, there was questions about the financing and all sorts of stuff, the viability of the company. It wasn't good. Wow. The all SEC right. normally doesn't step in unless yeah. it's a real fucking problem. Huh. Yeah. Guessing especially back then. Yeah. It wasn't wasn't great. This was uh, like effectively the death knell for the company, and DeLorean recognized this. He begins scrambling for additional financing. DeLorean goes to the British government again, hat in hand, asking for additional financing. They agree with the caveat being that they will only do so if he can find outside capital of a matching amount. Okay. The other problem, too, is that the British government may have gotten wind of the rumors that DeLorean had been skimming off investment cash for himself throughout the entire process. Whoopsie-daisy. Oh. That's right. He said, well, you get more money here, but you're going to steal half of it from me, so I don't like it. <laughs> Got to keep up with looks and appearances. That's right. And John DeLorean can't raise the capital. Mm. The magic is gone, it seems. He doesn't have any rich friends willing to step in. Johnny Carson's out. Sammy Davis Jr.'s out. Roy Clark is out. And he needs $17 million to keep from going completely under. He's got to keep the lights on. Yeah. $17 million, otherwise game over. When things are looking their worst, a neighbor steps in. His name is Jim Hoffman, and he tells DeLorean, look, man, I know you're in a financial bind. Well, I've got a quick solution for you. DeLorean's interested, of course. Hoffman is like, so how familiar are you with cocaine trafficking? <laughs> He said, probably pretty familiar with cocaine by the looks of it, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I mean the actual transportation of it. Long story short, he convinces DeLorean that he needs to do one transaction and he'll be good to go financially. $24 million better to be exact. And he can keep the dream of DeLorean Motors alive. Now, if this sounds uh, like the beginning of Locked Up Abroad, you may be onto <laughs> something here. So DeLorean agrees. He goes to LAX to pick up some product. When he's presented with the cocaine... 
DeLorean comments that the drugs are, quote, better than gold. And the reason I know that he said that exact phrase is because it was on videotape. Oh, no. The whole thing was a sting operation set up by the FBI. Oh, no. Oh. What about his homeboy? Was he an agent? or? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he probably yeah. had some something that happened to him where he had to set up John. Yeah. Rolled him. His neighbor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? That block party's going to get weird this <laughs> <Yeah>. summertime. <laughs> You you fucked me up, man. It's unbelievable. Hey, what's up, little Johnny? How's it going over there? Yeah, (laughs) pouring fucking lemonade and shit. It wouldn't be great. When he reaches out to shake the hand of the purported dope man, they respond with handcuffs. Oh, man. The dream is dead. Deep in both financial and legal trouble, DeLorean hires an attorney, and they make the claim that he was the victim of entrapment by law enforcement. His attorney would later say, quote, when we were doing the analysis of the entrapment, I saw he was completely set up. He would have gone to any lengths to save his company. He even had a deal in place with financiers that may have allowed him to save it if he hadn't gone down the cocaine route. It was his ego, his need to be in control that led him into the FBI sting. Mm. It's 1984 and John DeLorean has gone from troubled upbringing to bright student to soldier to insurance salesman to engineer to executive engineer to executive and king of an industry, to entrepreneur, to failed drug dealer facing some real fucking prison time. Luckily for him, though, he still had enough money to get a decent attorney who saves his ass from going to prison for decades. So that's a win in the grand scheme of things. Okay. Money talks. Yeah. How much time did he wind up doing? He didn't do any. Really? He was acquitted. Wow. Acquitted? Wow. No house arrest? No. I mean, he may have had house arrest while he was waiting for the the trial. But but, they threw uh, the entrapment back mm -hmm. on him, and he was like, fuck it. Yeah. Wow. So that attorney, worth every penny. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Yeah. Now, while DeLorean's life was collapsing, and he was fighting to keep himself from going to prison, two relatively unknown guys, Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis, were working on a screenplay for a movie about a teen traveling back in time. I was about to say, Robert Zemeckis, where do I know that from? That's it. Yep. And the first two versions of the script, Back to the Future, the time machine was made out of a lead-lined refrigerator. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Yes. But around the third rewrite, Zemeckis said, wouldn't it make more sense to make the time machine out of a car? And the answer was yes. But which car? Gale would state that it was during that time that DeLorean was on trial and he was in the news and the brushed stainless steel and gold wing doors looked perfect for a time machine. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And now you know the rest of the story. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Paul Harvey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Interestingly enough, while it's obvious that uh, Back to the Future made the DeLorean an icon, Bob Gale points out correctly, everyone who owns a DeLorean either got it because of the movie or kept it because of the movie. Yeah. The flip side of that coin is that had Back to the Future been made with Kenmore Refrigerator Time Machine... I think it would probably be largely forgotten as well. You can see that. Yeah, yeah, sure. No one's doing Back to the Future when they climb yeah. into a refrigerator. I, yeah. I don't think I mean, so. like, you got to think of the, I mean, the box, the the cover of that. It's the DeLorean with yeah. the flames. Yeah. I like to like imagine that. the cover if they'd done it, opened it up, and there was just like a six-pack of beer in there. <laughs> and Marty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, is this the cover of Naked Lunch, or is this a Time Machine movie? I don't, I don't understand. Hot, or what is it, uh, not hot tub time machine, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah effectively. Yeah, kind of. Refrigerator, <laughs> yeah. hot, refrigerator, or refrigerator time, machine. time machine. Yeah, so like the car and the movie have like an inherently symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Unfortunately, is that what hot tub time machine is cracking on? It could be. I think it's the absurdity of it. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, but yeah. Buddy's over here having a moment. He's like <laughs> sprung up right there. Hang on a minute. I have figured out this... <laughs> Do you think they knew it was going to be a refrigerator? <laughs> <laughs> Blockbuster buddy. That's, That's right. It. 
unfortunately, by the time the DeLorean lit the road on fire in the first movie, the car was entirely out of production and the company was defunct. Wow. Man, imagine the sales that would have happened. Like, had that still been in production. Yeah. And things did not improve for John DeLorean either. By 1999, he was bankrupt, holding $85 million in debt, and had taken to attending Back to the Future and DeLorean conventions. Man. Wow. In 2005, his complicated life had its curtain call when he dies from complications of a stroke. And that is the fascinating story of John DeLorean, engineering whiz, automotive royalty, and father of multiple iconic vehicles, including the best-known time machine in all of fiction. Final scores, boys. Wow. Interesting. I didn't see that. I, nah, I thought he was going to be way more of an asshole for some reason. Yeah, his wife said that he was like a fucking narcissist and shit like that. But when you get to that level, I, I mean, you kind of are the best. Be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are the best. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I got the GTO, the fucking Grand Prix under my belt. You know, fuck you guys. I mean, seriously, that dude, like, even the stuff that you're not talking about, the cars, like, he, like, walks into Packard and, like, changes their entire yeah. automatic transmission. Yeah, that's insane. Just yeah. a boss. Yeah, yeah, just a boss. The dude was a, yeah, he was a, a different breed. Yep. And it just didn't work out for him. I think he sold his soul to Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> <laughs> just give it a bebop. Give me your soul. That's right. <laughs> All right, well, let's get final scores on John Zachary DeLorean. All right, buddy, what do you got? All right, so um, I was surprised by the episode. For some reason, I thought that he was a huge asshole, and I, I don't know. I mean, there's you know, it's a little bit of narcissistic traits here and there, but I mean, yeah. there's nothing that really, I mean, jumped off the radar for me, especially considering all the people that we've covered in the past. Yeah. I mean, there was a little bit of what, like the skimming capital on DMC. That's a lot of money that he stole. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, like he didn't kill anybody. He didn't, you know, and he yeah. got caught red-handed doing it, right? Yeah, he there were some lawsuits that happened afterwards and stuff like that, but you know the company was already defunct and he was broke as fuck. Yeah, it didn't yeah. matter. Uh, he did a bad coke deal because he was desperate. Yeah, I don't feel bad. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't fault him for that. It was just a dumb that decision. Was a hail mary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. fell short. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. It was an absolute hail mary. He said, "Fuck it." You know, there's not a lot I can knock this guy for. You know, when I look at everybody that we've covered, in a sense, I don't know. I'm kind of getting not. And I, and I hate to parallel this in a sense, but when I'm looking at the low end of the spectrum, the person that I'm kind of comparing them to is almost like a Lindsay Lohan in a sense. Like, oh, man. Oh, like in a sense, yeah. like, it's like all of a sudden was a big star almost and just went okay. kind of a little bit crazy yeah. in a sense, you know, yeah. and got a little bit too big for their britches. Okay. Um, you know, because when we look at everybody else, like before that, I mean, like, what are we looking at? Like Kid Rock. Uh, Dustin Diamond, Tom Cruise, I, I don't compare any of that. So, yeah, no, I'm going to put John DeLorean up there with uh, Lindsay Lohan and put a final asshole score of him as a 5.17. All right, okay. 5.17, Buddy's final score. Randy, what do you got? All right, so pretty interesting. I, too, thought he would have some, like, more meat on the bone. Yeah. The drugs, like, I thought maybe he would have gotten into drugs or gotten into women. Mm-hmm. Um, he did have the models and, like, the hot girls, but yeah. it didn't sound like he was, like, cheating on them. Or he probably was. He probably was. It wasn't, like, his shtick. No, like, no, to make no. it yeah, public, yeah. you know. Yeah. That's um, what he was doing out in L.A. all the time. Right. Yeah. You know, bad week at work, go to yeah. L.A. And- but honestly, he was, it sounds like he, like you said, he was kind of the best at what he did. He yeah. knew it. And I guess folks that are the best at, like, those high-profile jobs. Yeah tend to kind of know it and yeah. you know they act accordingly not like an asshole but you know that was the parallel i've seen a little bit like with oprah winfrey in a sense at the 4.75 but i felt like i had to knock him a little bit higher than yeah. that so it's funny you brought that one up buddy because that was what i was thinking of when i'm thinking of final scores he's worse than oprah but he's not as bad as ty Cobb. so i've got him 
at a 4.8 is my final score. All right, 4.8 from Randy. What do you got, Mikey? Yeah, those are both good parallels. I mean, it's tough to like match him up to somebody because he's just sort of such a unique character. Yeah. Obviously, the guy is impressive. There's just no way around that. I wanted him to be a little bit more in the John McAfee like sure. ballpark. Yeah. That's where I, I don't yeah. know. Like when Randy said it at the beginning, I was like, "Yeah, that's exactly where he's." McAfee be. struck me as a guy that just got like incredibly lucky. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like 100. Yeah. Like whereas like with Delorean, you're like, this guy was fucking brilliant. Like yeah. legitimately brilliant. You know what I'm saying? Like if he just I don't know, a better roll of the dice. Maybe not piss off the executives. You know, you may be talking about him the same way you talk about Lee Iacocca. Yeah. You know, he obviously had a vanity issue, hence the plastic surgery and stuff like that. Although, you don't fault him. That was a little bitch-ass chin he had. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, getting into models and stuff like that. I mean, he, he was a celebrity at a time where there wasn't really a lot of, like, celebrity CEOs. Sure. You know, those dudes were C-suite. They just stayed behind closed doors, like, just button-down suit guys. And he was out there, like, full-on, again, lifting weights with the shirt off and jeans <laughs> and getting that put in a magazine, which was strange. Ultimately, he definitely stole a lot of money from the British government, which isn't great. I think maybe to some extent, I don't know if he was padding his pockets or he was just trying to find ways to make the company survive because it was problematic from the beginning. Sure. You know what I mean? They were just cost overruns constantly on the entire project. I actually was looking at Wikipedia for the for the car itself to learn more about the car and there was actually multiple cars they were going to make there was the DMC 12 of course which everybody knows there was the DMC 24 which was going to be a four a four door okay they even four door DeLorean yeah and they were even going to do one that was like a van oh wow yeah so I was like damn it really would have been interesting if he could have got this right I think if he had had more time some more runway there were some real innovations that came along with what he was doing huh. Uh, and it probably could have been pretty cool, but it, it didn't work out that way. All the way to the end of the line, like in Back to the Future 3, where he would have created the train. Yes. Time machine. That's right. Yes. You the, know. DM, the DMC 1000 or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's, I think he is a victim of his own sort of arrogance, but it's hard not to be arrogant at that point because, like I said, you're just, you've been crushing it. You can't lose. Like, you are the golden child. So I am going to... And I, I, you know, I like the 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 split between Oprah Winfrey and Ty Cobb as well. That is a good one. I will do him at four point eight two, though, just below Ty Cobb, who was great at what he did. Yep. But also killed a couple people. So Mikey's going <laughs> to do him at four point eight two. A hundred percent. I mean, you've seen the guy. That's right. You, you've yeah. seen him work out. There's no way I'm not doing this That's guy. That's right. Especially at a four point eight two rate. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. That's what is like some sort of ratio for my rear transmission or something. <laughs> I don't even know shit about cars. Rear axle ratio is that what that is? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. We had that uh, video game on your computer, Randy, that we played that's all right, the time. The that's ratio pink slips. Uh huh. That's yeah. it. It was a great game. Yeah, it was fun. I was so dumb that I was like, hell yeah! Everything I was made was a was a three speed shift gear shifter. <laughs> I was like, that's just cool. It's, sim- it's just it's simple. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about if I was driving one of those muscle cars, I only want three gears to change. <laughs> All right. With a 5.17 from Buddy, 4.8 from Randy, and a 4.82 from Mikey, John DeLorean's final asshole score is a 4.93. All right, 4.93, a tick above. Kid Rock at 4.9 and a shade below. Joe Rogan at 5.07. So oddly enough, he falls pre-show. Right where he did post show. Yeah. In between uh, Joe Rock. Joe Rock. Joe Rock. <laughs> Joe Rock. Joe Rock. Kid Rogan. <laughs> That's right. Joe Rock and Kid Rogan. 
In the middle is John DeLorean. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. All of you Fart Circle members out there, we definitely appreciate you. All of our uh, Patreon folks, thank you so much for all your support. Uh, we're going to have our holiday season gifts coming to you. Be on the uh, lookout for that. It'll be a DeLorean. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Signed by all of us. I actually did forget to bring up one thing. Do you know what ended up happening to the DeLorean molds? Uh-uh. What? They ended up being used as anchors for fucking fishing nets. What? Really? True story. Yeah. I should have not I should have included that in the story that we were doing, but I'll put it here on the end. Interesting. We'll and see if people actually listen to the end of our right. shows and see if they get the final yeah, there we go. The final there was tidbit. a there was a rumor and they actually ended up finding out that it was true. That oh, they man. used those those heavy ass molds to fucking weight down uh, fishing nets, yep. huh? Oh wow. Interesting. Awesome. Learning all the way to the end. Appreciate that, Mikey. Good deal. We hope you guys enjoyed this one. Be kind to one another, and we will see you next time on Asshole Court.